Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction with Philippe and Naren and Fergal Armstrong. In the episode of Cracking Addiction today, we're going to recap a bit from the previous episode we did on the endocannabinoid system and talk a bit more about cannabis in general. So Fergal, could you talk to us a bit about the function of cannabis on the CBD receptors again? So yeah, last week we kind of had a, an overview of the endocannabinoid system. So I think this week we'll we need to focus in on on um, you know the, the the main active ingredients of what is cannabis, and we all know of the existence of THC and CBD. So THC stands for tetrahydrocannabinol, and CBD stands for cannabidiol. But Bringing back the, the issue from last week, you need to understand that there are many, many psychoactive phytocannabinoids present in the cannabis plant. And these are just the, the most well-known. And it may be in the future that other phytocannabinoids become more uh, more apparent and more, more elucidated, and their effects may also begin to take more prominence. But right now, fundamentally, we talk about THC and CBD. So if we look, if we look at um, THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, THC is a partial agonist of CB1 and CB2 receptors. Compare that with the synthetic cannabinoids, which are full agonists. And so that's why I think it's important for people to understand that synthetic cannabinoids are actually harmful and they're not the same as the natural THC ink because it's basically the difference between a partial agonist and a full agonist. And just as we see that difference exemplified in opioids, I mean, would you care to comment about that situation? Indeed. So what we normally see with um, opiates, and we've talked in our opiate series about the different types of opiates there are and their different interactions with, with the new, new receptor. So we have full agonist opiates such as methadone, oxycodone, and heroin. And we also mm. have partial agonists as well to the mu receptor, such as buprenorphine. These medications exert different effects on the receptor and they interact differently. So I think that's quite an apt comparison between how different classes of medications oh, pardon me, different medications in the same class interact with the same receptor, albeit in slightly different ways and to different effects on the body and the person consuming them. Would you say yeah. that's fair, Fergal? I, yeah, I would. I, I would agree with that. So, I mean, if we accept then that there's the THC is inherently less harmful than all of the synthetic cannabinoids, uh, we need to focus in on what THC does. So THC is a partial agonist of CB1 and CB2. So that then begs the question, well, what are the actions of CB1 and CB2? So CB1, we know, is implicated predominantly or is present in the brain and the nervous system, whereas CB2, the CB2 receptor, is present in the uh, inflammation, the lymphoreticular system, the inflammatory uh, system. And that broadly gives you an understanding of their, their function of these receptors. And so really, when we look at CB1 receptors, it's implicated in cognition, coordination, memory, motor function, pain perception. And crucially, there are no CB1 receptors in the parabrachial nuclei. And why is that important? Because there is no respiratory depression. 
Now, if we look at these functions, so we can see that see the THC is a partial agonist of CB1 mediating those functions. So cognition, coordination, memory, uh, motor function, and pain perception. I mean, you can start to begin to see some of the potential clinical clinical effects and also some of the side effects. And so, you know, we know that, that you know, cannabis makes you incoordinated. We know that it can cause memory inattention and poor memory. We know that it can cause uh, motor incoordination. It can cause perceptual disturbance. But we also know that it can uh, mediate pain. And so, you know, some a lot of people use cannabis for pain. And so they're using the, um, the, the partial agonism of THC on the CB1 receptor to mediate that effect. And then we move on to the CB2 effect. I mean, what would you comment on in terms of CB2 effects? So basically, the CB2 effects are correlated to where the CB2 receptor is found. And again, it's found in multiple sites. But essentially, what the CB2 receptor function does is it regulates the immune system, it has anti-inflammatory mm. effects, and it helps mm. regulate cytokine release also. So the predominant effect of the CB2 receptor is to help modulate inflammation in its various yeah. forms and its and its various guises. And I think yeah. this brings me to, I guess, the second part of the question I was going to ask you. And it's more about the, the clinical effects of something like um, Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol, uh, THC. Mm. So what are the clinical effects that we can expect from THC? We've already partially touched on it, but could you go into a bit more depth, Virgil? Yeah, so we, we know that THC modulates pain, modulates spasticity, is sedative, causes appetite gain, and can alleviate mood. So and that, that correlates into the licensed indications for uh, THC in Australia, which is basically spasticity. It's licensed for the management of MS-induced spasticity. It's also used uh, extensively for the treatment of MS, peripheral neuropathic pain and central neuropathic pain. And then you can start telling uh, or exploring other uh, non-licensed indications, which basically involve chronic non-cancer pain and neuropathic pain. Well, interestingly, also, it's, it's known to have a bronchodilator effect. <clears throat> it's known to be neuroprotectant. Uh, it's, it's got an antioxidant effect. It's also got an antipruritic effect in the management of cholestatic jaundice, and it's also got some anti-inflammatory effects. So again, you know, even though we said that CB2 was the main uh, receptor dealing with the infl in inflammatory processes, we also know that CB1 does have some kind of regulatory function in, in the inflammatory system. But so, so those are the clinical effects. What about the side effects of THC? Would you care to tell us about those, Thalipan? Sure. So the common known side effects of THC can be sedation, anxiety, paranoia, falls, and there can be an increased risk of, of infarction as well. So the side effects are somewhat well known. A lot of people complain about the side effects, particularly those of uh, sedation. Sometimes people do complain of anxiety and paranoia mm. post-cannabis yeah. use is also quite well known. So Again, I don't yeah. think there are too many surprises in that list of list of side effects yeah. with, with cannabis. Would you care to comment on that at all, Fergal? Yeah, I think it's important to understand that um, people with ischemic heart disease, you know, I, I would be a little bit more cautious in prescribing THC in that group of patients because we know that, that uh, ex exacerbation of ischemic heart disease is actually a side effect of THC. Um, 
And also the, the idea that THC causes paranoia. I mean, you know, we do know that cannabis is now being uh, classified as an epigenetic risk factor for the development of, uh, you know, a primary psychosis or schizophrenia, especially in uh, young people. So it doesn't necessarily cause it, but it certainly unmasks schizophrenia earlier than, than would otherwise occur. I mean, have you had any thoughts on that, Philippe? Not really, other than what you've already stated. It's kind of almost a, become a chicken and egg kind of argument with regards to ca um, cannabis usage and schizophrenia. We do know that the earlier onset use of cannabis, the paradoxically people who are at risk of psychosis can manifest their psychosis as well. So it's mm. one of those kind of um, medications one does have to treat carefully, particularly if there's a strong family history of mental illness or schizophrenia mm. in the family. So yeah. it's something yeah. that we do have to counsel our patients about if they are yeah. at risk or interested in using cannabis. Has that been your practice as well, Fergal? Yeah, I mean, I, I often get uh, uh, referrals asking me to consider prescribing cannabis for or cannabis oil. And, you know, when you when you actually look into it, you know, so you want some THC. Those are the those are the things that I think are reasons not to, not to push ahead, uh, you know, a family history of psychosis or or a prodrome of psychosis in in the patient, and also ischemic heart disease. Indeed, those, those, those are those are concerns that I would have, as well as um, actually the risk of cannabis use disorder, which I suppose is a is a subject for another talk. It will be, but going on mm. from an earlier comment that you had made, which was. Um, the indications and uh, what uh, cannabis is legislated for or allowed to be used for in Australia. Could you yeah. expand on that topic, Fergal, as to what indications would you consider using, using cannabis for? Yeah, so it's got THC products in Australia are available and they do have licenses for spasticity and the management of spasticity secondary to MS. There is a there is a, a a grand swell of common practice that does support the use of THC products uh, for the management of neuropathic pain, both central neuropathic and peripheral neuropathic pain, especially with MS and stroke and things like that. Um, there, it is now becoming more widely available and is now becoming more used in the chronic non-cancer pain domain. And there's there's there are a lot of uh, clinicians, GPs, specialists who are who have got an ever increasing number of patients who are being prescribed these medications for those indications. But let's not forget, you know, it, it is also used for the management of anorexia, especially in HIV. It's also used for uh, chemotherapy, or, or rather the prevention of nausea associated with chemotherapy. It's a very useful adjunct. And it, it does have some role in the management of some kind of sleep disorders. But again, I, I, I want to make the point that whilst these are the commonly used indicate or the, com the common indications for the use of THC, I don't believe that THC is the first line intervention for any of these conditions. I think the role for THC has got to be very much third line. You know, I think I think use a, a couple of first or second line agents, and then that opens the door. I don't believe that we should be treating any of these conditions first line with these agents at all. What, what, what do you think? I totally agree with you. And I think that's the indication for their usage currently as well. I think a lot of eyebrows would be raised if the first uh, tool that you reached for in your armamentarium was, was medicinal cannabis <laughs> for, for any of the conditions that you've listed. So yeah. I, I do agree. Yeah. And it is one of those 
um, options available for, for refractory conditions such as that um, those cases of refractory spasticity which are failing conventional medical treatment. So, so I totally agree with yeah. what you're saying. It is a medication of somewhat last resort really um, and that's the indication here in Australia and that's how, how, how it should be prescribed uh, basically. So I, I do totally agree with, with what you're saying. Is there a specific um, condition that you feel has the strongest evidence for THC, Fergal? <laughs> that's, a, that's a knockout question. Um, I think the evidence is pretty good for spasticity yes. because it is actually, it, it's, it's the licensed indication, so therefore it's got the, 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 the most evidence. Absolutely. I think, I think in order, I think in, in hierarchy, I think it's spasticity, neuropathic pain, uh, nausea, and then we start getting into the more, the, 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 the domains which are, are that, that have a less robust evidence base, including neuro, chronic non-cancer pain. I mean, do you prescribe THC for chronic non-cancer pain? I have never prescribed medicinal cannabis in for any condition, not because I'm opposed to it, but it, it's just because it hasn't come up thus far in my clinical practice, in my general practice uh, career. In my addiction medicine work, it's not something that we prescribe as part of our addiction medicine clinic per se, yeah. because it's yeah. pretty much outside the scope of what we're trying to do. This is probably more yeah. in the primary care setting that one would consider <laughs> prescribing yeah. medicinal cannabis. Yourself, Fergal, have you prescribed medicinal well, cannabis? Well, I, I have prescribed medicinal cannabis for um, maybe two or three patients with chronic non-cancer pain that didn't have spasticity or didn't have neuropathic pain. But there is, you know, it's, it's, it's just because I haven't prescribed a lot of it doesn't mean that it doesn't work for some people. So I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm saying I'm cautious about it. Um, Interestingly, though, there, there are some advocates for the use of cannabis for, or sorry, the use of tetrahydrocannabinol for a number of psychiatric conditions, including substance use disorder. Uh, there, is, there is this idea that uh, you know, some patients need THC to actually help themselves either wean off uh, a prescription opioid use disorder or actually a primary, primary substance use disorder. Have you have you come across any indications with regards to psychiatric diagnoses? I think there's some uh, evidence for for THC for PTSD, OCD, and and Tourette's. So mm. those are the psychiatric conditions I'm most familiar with THC being used for. I haven't yeah. heard of it, or I don't have much experience with THC for as a as a treatment for for substance use disorders by and of itself. Uh, yeah. So I. I wouldn't be able to comment on that per se, but uh, with regards to mm. the psychiatric um, conditions that uh, that have some indication potentially, PTSD, OCD, and Tourette's are the ones I think that have the most evidence. Yeah. Would, would you agree with that, Fergal? Yeah, again, it's not it's, it's not mainstream. No. It's very very much fringe, and it's even maybe fourth, fifth, sixth line. You know, agreed. Um, I've got one patient with significant PTSD and significant chronic pain who has remarkably transformed her life with a combination of THC and CBD, and it's really beginning to help her. But really, that's one out of all my patient load. So yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't really use it that much. 
Well, it's been a really interesting episode of Cracking Addiction. We've kind of explored the wide boundaries of prescribing and appropriate prescribing and also the indications for, for medicinal cannabis. But in summary, we've recapped what the CBD receptors do, the effects of THC on the body, the common side effects of THC, some of the indications for, for, for THC in, in medicine, and also where the current um, indications for some of these um, medications stand in terms of uh, the timing of when we treat our patients with various conditions. So it's been a pretty interesting episode of Cracking Addiction. Thanks for your attention and bye for now. Yeah.